0: In this episode, I feature Sotoff Patter, a Brooklyn-based independent curator and creative coach. After eight years in the public school system as a teacher and administrator, she left her job and established Alpha Arts Alliance, a hyper-local arts collective. Sotoff has created exhibitions across the country, including New York City, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Martha's Vineyard, and Philadelphia. She amplifies artists of the global majority, especially women, through connective themes such as mythology, eco-activism, and social justice. Her writing and curation has been featured in LA Weekly, Artsy, and Hyperallergic. She serves as board member for the Chickweed Alliance and ArtBridge, a lead fundraiser for Growth in Haiti, where she is building a community center and artist retreat in Haiti, and is also a member of Phoenix Community Garden, where she runs community events and youth programs. She is a Create Change alumna with the Landromat Project, as well as a 2022-2023 Emily Hall Tremaine Fellow with Hyperallergic, where she recently presented initial research on South Asian futurisms. Enjoy this episode featuring Sadov Pater. Saadov, welcome to my podcast. I'm delighted to feature you.
1: Thank you for having me, Phyllis. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, you've got a lot going on. Um, when in your life did you recognize your interest in visual arts?
1: You know, looking back, I have always been interested and I remember very early on in middle school watching peers who had artistic ability and just believing that it was something they were born with. I always loved making things with my hands and particularly in my religious community, our Hannah Nights were some of my favorite events. In high school, I grew up right inside of Philadelphia, New Jersey. I started going to theater productions and exhibitions and talks. And that's really when my role as an art lover began to grow.
0: What inspired you to study art?
1: So I am a self-taught curator. I didn't get to study. I took art history when I was in high school. um, But when I was in college uh, and then when I graduated and started teaching, I found that art spaces were kind of where I could find a sense of belonging, especially when I was around so few people that looked like me. So I found myself gravitating towards events that were promoting South Asian and trans diasporic culture. You know, when I started teaching in Baltimore City is also when I started to practice art myself I started to do henna tattooing and make jewelry and that was really a way I was able to bond with my students and that interest grew and it allowed me to start to meet other artists organically
0: and when when did you enter the curatorial field
1: i began teaching in 2011 and i spent 8 years in the school system so i was a high school teacher at an alternative middle school and high school in baltimore city and then i was a dean of students at a charter school here in Dive. so i would say as I was working in the school system and noticing the gaps in accessing art for my students, I was also noticing the same literacy gaps for my peers and for my artist friends. So. I applied to an emerging curators program and opened my first gallery show summer 2019, which was also the very week I left my job as a dean of students after eight years in the school system. But prior to that, you know, I had begun providing writing services for artists and had been able to get a fair amount of grants and opportunities for artists by providing them that service.
0: I'm curious. So while you were teaching, how did your students inspire you?
1: I've learned so much from my students. I think first and foremost, I really learned how little I knew about the discrepancies in our country. You know, I grew up in a fairly privileged background. I got to go to a Blue Ribbon High School. Um, My students, they really pushed me to understand how to access resources. So when I began teaching is also when I began to do grant writing and crowdfunding, which is a core part of my practice up until this day. I continue to crowdfund and grant write in order to run youth art programs in Brooklyn. My students, you know, when I was teaching as well, many of them had tattoos. This is before I had any. If my parents are listening, I still don't have any. Um, Henna tattooing really allowed me to bond. With them, it gave me a way to introduce my culture and who I was. Because for many of them, I was the first brown person they really were spending one-on-one time with. I wasn't white, and I wasn't black. And so, to give them something that looked similar to something they were used to, which is tattooing, but in a different format, I think became a, a really accessible way for us to understand each other.
0: That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. What do you enjoy most about your curatorial roles?
1: I've always been a people person. I've always loved meeting people, introducing people. So now as a curator, I get to grow that connection into exhibitions, shows, and form strong stories. I think my favorite part is getting to connect artists who are not already familiar with one another's practice and see how learning about someone else's work motivates them or allows them to also feel like they are part of a community. My approach to curating is very collaborative. I've received feedback from artists that they're not used to having an approach where I'm bringing the artists together to do icebreakers, reflect on different prompts and poetry, and really sharing with one another our works in progress so we can develop some good synergy by the time opening day comes.
0: What type of relationships do you like to have with artists?
1: organic ones. Uh, My interest in the artists I work with are those who are committed to community betterment. And that can look like a variety of things, but I'm particularly drawn to artists who have a relationship with the environment they're a part of, whether that's their natural environment, community, youth, but who are thinking of how does my art practice connect back to real social justice issues, uh, real environmental issues. So my relationships with artists really are ones that I want to be lifelong, I'm interested in working with people where I see that lasting a very long time.
0: Do you see overlaps in how your students inspire you versus how artists inspire
1: you? That's a great question, because I would say first and foremost, I saw overlaps with how artists that inspired me and the students that inspired me were facing similar challenges, particularly in regards to literacy and confidence in talking about their work and presenting their work. And I would say the way they inspire me, students and artists alike, is to think how can we bridge connections and form opportunities outside of traditional models that we are being given? You know, by the time I left the school system, I was so distraught with the way the discipline systems were being run that I really was thinking, you know, what could be an alternative method to learning outside of these four walls? And I think I apply the same methodology to my curatorial and artist development work because in addition to curating, I also do coaching, which is how can we thrive in a creative economy outside of a traditional gallery system? So I think that they inspire me to push boundaries and think outside of the box. Mm -hmm.
0: And what would you say are the greatest challenges that artists are facing today?
1: I think that the last few years were an extremely pivotal, necessary and frenzy of a time, particularly for artists that are coming out of MFA programs, artists of color. I have observed just a pattern of not having a real grasp, but understanding on the market, how to navigate the economy and the autonomy in really owning your own career. So that, I think, is a great challenge where artists are not aware of their power or how to leverage their power in relationships, particularly with dealers and with galleries. As a result, I think that we saw some incredible price gouging and price inflation over the last few years, which unfortunately has made some folks inaccessible to their immediate community. And so that's something I'm really reckoning with and thinking about as I move forward in my own curations, particularly in curations and commercial spaces. So
0: if I understand you correctly, you're commenting on how the Black Lives Matter movement impacted how different audiences perceive and receive art by non-white artists?
1: yeah i think in 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 one way for sure i definitely think there's been a hyper focus and i've been observant for a while so i see which galleries and which dealers move shark-like and a circle around certain artists and have pumped their market and i think that the protests and movements like I said, they were necessary. Um, This attention is long, long overdue. But as a result, we also need to be creating protective measures. I think it's so important for artists to have advocates by their side that are not directly profiting off of them. Um, It's so important that you have a relationship with a curator or advisor or coach. And something I was observing is artists being offered shows and being offered international shows without a curator, without any curatorial support. So they're going into these shows, giving a body of work, but not getting the canonization, the scholarship, the writing, or the, the brainstorming and back and forth that is so pivotal to the creative development of an artist. So I think that that's really my ultimate concern and what makes me really go hard for the folks I'm around.
0: That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And can you comment on the role of the collector as a, as a patron?
1: Yeah. it is Also something I think about a lot and that I've had conversations with collectors in my network is what distinguishes a collector from a patron, you know, supporting an artist at a pivotal point in their career, particularly when they are emerging. And even that language is, is shifting for me if emerging is the right terminology, but What are the other ways that folks can step in to make sure that an artist's career has longevity? Does it look like providing them access to resources? Does it look like giving them support so they can get their dream studio, making introductions to different institutions or galleries that align with that artist's mission and intention? So I think this role of patron is something that I've been very inspired to see with some individuals in our mutual network. And then I also look forward to seeing more of, as it relates to the South Asian community and the South Asian diaspora. So on
0: that topic, do you feel South Asian art can be defined?
1: No, not rigidly at all. And this is something I really go into in my recent fellowship with Hyperallergic, where I'm exploring South Asian futurisms. is we're coming upon a time where... It's been, you know, 75 years since the Great Partition of India. And though South Asian folks began to migrate to the USA, you know, two, three centuries ago, many of us came only in the last century. And artists in particular are now taking on the role of sharing our family histories to show that we very much are not a monolith. Right now, there's a rise of Hindu nationalism in India and people here And this is by no fault of their own, it's really the education system. Think that South Asia looks one way and sounds one way. And we're really such a diverse community with so many cultures, artistic styles, languages, uh, that I think it's actually very dangerous to just say South Asian art, South Asian studies, uh, because people often equate that to just mean Indian, particularly North Indian or of Hindu culture. So I think as we grow, the more that people can be regionally specific uh, and pointing where the particular influences come from, the better.
0: We chatted about the role of the collector and, and the patron. How do you feel trustees at art institutions, what their role should be and what type of work should they focus on?
1: You know, this is something I'm learning more about, but I've been a little disturbed lately to kind of observe a trend of what I feel is nepotism, where there seems to be just a core group of artists, curators, collectors, and trustees sometimes that are circling around the same artwork. And I would love to see these processes become more transparent. And I think that that's part of the role of the trustee as well, as how are they learning of these artists? Who are the artists they're adding to the collection? And then how does that then feed into to the artists that are being introduced to the permanent collections of these institutions. Um, I understand that that's just how, how it goes, but I think that the role of the trustees to keep pushing to do their best, to not be responding to trend and not be collecting with their ears, but really with their hearts um, and really being clear as well of like, what is their mission? What are they drawn to? And using that as a springboard as to which artists they're advocating for.
0: Is there an art movement that you really favored? And when did you recognize your interest in that period?
1: Uh, I would say there's two art movements, definitely the surrealist movement. I learned that when I was in high school, taking art history, just surrealism, magical realism in particular. This ability to imagine new worlds, and then that leading way to the Afrofuturist movement, which I think is the mother of futurisms, and it spawned so many adapted futurisms around the world. Granted, the we could argue that the Afrofuturist movement is also coming from the Italian futurist movement in the 1900s, but it's such a departure in its emphasis on harmony and on you know celebration. So. I would say in the last two, three years is where I really started to hone in on my interest in futurisms. And that came as well from a conversation directly with Amy Andrew, who's the director of MOKADA. And I realized that I had seen very few examples of what that looks like in the South Asian community. And as I started to dig in, I started to find more and more on how people are really creating their own specific versions of futurism based on their lived experiences.
0: Can you elaborate on what futurism represents or is?
1: Definitely. um, Futurism is the ability to speculate and imagine new worlds beyond our current reality. And this can be... Speculative, meaning that it's, you know, it's within the confines of what can actually happen given our current technology or can be beyond that or where artists are projecting, you know, hypotheses into the future of, you know, what happens if our continental plates drift back together? What happens in a post-humanist world where humans are hybridizing with technology or with other animals or mutating in a post-apocalyptic world? I think particularly in my version of futures and someone I'm interested in is how do we disrupt? this idea of utopia versus dystopia and actually explore the spectrum and that middle ground of you know protopia what does it look like to inspire through futuristic art movements but also ground ourselves in what's possible you know progress over time very interesting so how do you keep learning Oh man, I glean everywhere I can. I'm a internet kid and a researcher from a very young age. (laughs) I would say, you know, I've been typing 120 words per minute since I was 10 years old. So I, I can move very fast through that information. And what I'm working on is allowing that knowledge to digest and allowing my ideas to breathe. Um, and giving them time to move towards conceptualization. So the way I learned is really through my peers. When I started to move into the art space, I started keeping a word bank as I would go to exhibitions and museums, I would write down words I would come across in texts and study them. So I have a word bank that's hundreds of words long, and it came in really handy when it's time for me to start writing myself. I also regularly am browsing different uh, journals. Luckily, I have a sister who's in university. So she can download articles for me off JSTOR. tour. Um, and I'm, I'm really thankful in that there's peers in my network that are doing some great academic work. And that's really the point I'm at as a self-taught curator is establishing myself through research and scholarship. I'm focusing on my arts writing this year. That's great. And
0: what are you excited about right now?
1: I am excited for spring and for Mm -hmm. my garden. I'm excited to have my first show in Brooklyn, which will open May 13th at Swivel Gallery called Memory Garden, featuring Madge and Isaac, Lujan Perez and Ariana Manai. After doing 15 shows across the country and digitally over the last few years, this is my first show in the neighborhood I call home. And so I'm really excited to get to welcome my former students, my friends, Um, And allow people to see what I've been up to in person who haven't got the chance yet. And I'm also really excited to have my first museum show, which will debut in June. It's a solo exhibition of an artist named Anina Major at Brattleboro Museum. Now that I've concluded my fellowship for hyperallergic and South Asian features, it's also opened up doors to some other conversations with some major institutions. And so I'm looking forward to solidifying some plans that will debut starting in 2025. That's wonderful. I'm really excited.
0: Yeah, you should be. It sounds exciting. (laughs)
1: very hard to get here.
0: (laughs) Well, it's interesting research and it's interesting focus.
1: And it's necessary right now, given just the state of nationalism and, you know, the amount of South Asian folks that are in the USA were 5.4 million, you know, but I have yet to meet another South Asian woman in New York specifically who's art dealing, you know, that's, that's something I also do. There's curators, there's artists, there's historians, there's writers, but in terms of a dealer, uh, I'm really looking forward to see who's who's going to come up and kind of own that space.
0: Maybe you'll encourage
1: them, huh? inshallah, <laughs> that's my hope. <laughs> what do you feel is the purpose of art? I think the purpose of art is to establish a universal language. I think it's to create a channel where we're able to share stories with one another, no matter what tongue we speak, a way that we can see one another. I think that the role of art is to inspire. I think the role of art is to catalyze change and movements. Art has been at the nucleus of every major social movement in recent history, and I think that we're very much living in the midst of one now.
0: Certainly are. And what do you feel is the role of the artist?
1: You know, I think the role of the artist is, uh, I I think of them as magicians, you know, they have the ability to create something out of nothing. And I think that the role of the artist really depends on what their intention is. Everyone's intention is different, but I think that the artist is someone to be protected. So I think of the role of the artist is if they are the nucleus, then we are creating that that seed around them so they can germinate.
0: And what do you feel is the role of the curator?
1: The role of the curator is to care for, to develop and grow with. I know I personally am looking forward to opportunities where I'm not tied to market in the same way, curating in non-commercial spaces. So I can grow long withstanding relationships I think the role of the curator is to reflect back to the artists how they are growing, to encourage them and to, you know, to inspire one another and to collaborate in ways that feel sustainable all the way around. Yeah.
0: I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm very impressed with the work you're doing. And uh, welcome back from your uh, residency. So this is a final question. How do you want to impact the art world?
1: I... I want to establish myself as a leading voice in contemporary art, especially in regards to the South Asian diaspora. I think through this lens of futurism, I've begun that. I wanna continue to advocate for the historically obscured to demonstrate we're not a monolith through art. I'm looking forward to creating some powerful shows around colorism, around the Great Partition, around where my family specifically is from in Kashmir, which is the most militarized region in the world. I am looking forward to also growing as a curator and reckoning with what does it look like to address caste supremacy in the art world. That is right now my, my greatest challenge and my greatest growth area. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you very much. And it, you should be proud of, of the work that you're doing. It's, it's definitely needed.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Phyllis. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and highlight me. And I, I look forward to us getting to grow together and kind of look back on this conversation. Yeah. And I'm glad to be in orbit with you because I know we will be for a while now. Yeah.
0: Thank you very much. I, I absolutely love the work I do. It's fabulous to connect with people like you. I learned so much with every conversation. So thank you. Appreciate it.
1: Likewise, I'll talk to you soon.
0: Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.